0: Hey, Pastor John Aiken here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Faith Center podcast. We hope today's teaching will awaken and equip you to live out your God-given purpose. Enjoy. Well, all right, everybody, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, make sure you grab your sheet. Tonight is one of those that I almost, I woke up this morning knowing exactly what I was supposed to teach on tonight. I mean, it was just like, boom, knew exactly what I was supposed to teach on. And I was mad about it because this is the, I, one of my favorite verses in the Bible we're going to go over tonight. And I really was like, man, I want to, I want to teach on this on a Sunday. And then it was like, Because I just just, got—I love this verse. So this one verse we're going to get into, and just what it speaks to. So, um, so I'm excited about tonight, and it must be uh, for—I don't know—for somebody. And maybe I mean it—it stirs me up every time I go over a a lesson like like this kind of lesson tonight, um, because it just has some really really simple but very profound stuff when you apply it. It's really really good. And so make sure you get your sermon notes, and we'll jump into this thing and, and, uh, and see what the Lord will do. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We speak peace over every home, over every heart, over every life. God, we trust you, and we, we honor you, and we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, help us learn, help us feed upon your word, help us have clarity of mind. Those who are tired, God, help, our, help us Um, The spirit is willing, even though the flesh might be weak. So we ask for help that you give life to our mortal bodies by your spirit within us and um, help us learn and help us be eager to hear and eager to apply your word in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to talk about three stages of maturity, but I'm going to talk about it from a certain perspective. Now, if you've been around Faith Center for a long, for a decent amount of time, hopefully you already know all of this cause I've taught this in different ways, different times, different things. Um, and sometimes I fall into this thing of, if I know something or if I'm thinking something, I think everybody else already knows it. Uh, and I find out more and more people tell me, no, that's not true. And sometimes repetition is good. So this is, this is key. Um, and especially since we've been talking about faith, uh, last couple Sundays, this is, this, this is going to just stir me up. So, uh, i put it on your notes to see. You can look in your Bible if you want to. 1 John 12, or 1 John, yeah, 1 John 12. Doesn't exist. 1 John 2, verse 12 through 14. I'm going to read this out loud, and then we're going to walk through some stuff. So this is... um, The same guy, the same apostle, the apostle John, who wrote the gospel of John, also wrote towards the back of the Bible, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And so this is him writing. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome, the blank there is overcome, the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you fathers because you have known uh, him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So the first thing I want you to see is just this word overcome that I had you write in there. It's the Greek word Nikeo. And, and it's a verb. In Greek, it's a verb, and I'm not great at Greek. I'm barely struggling with English, uh, but I know Nikeo is a verb, present tense verb, and so it comes out of the word Nike, like you see for the, the, the logo and the, the shoe company, whatever, the, all the things that they do, N-I-K-E, Nike, which, which is the noun. So Nike is the noun, which means victory or the victorious one, And then Nikeo is the present tense of that. So that word Nikeo, which comes out of Nike, but Nikeo means that I am like presently, I am presently victorious. I am presently conquering. I'm I'm presently prevailing. It's that verb, I'm subduing, and I'm carrying off the victory or I'm bringing about the victory. So the noun Nike is when you're standing up on the stage with the trophy, I'm the victorious one and I'm the victor. That's the noun, Nike. Um, The verb, Nikeo, is when you're doing your, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're presently carrying out the victory. And so as believers in Christ, we are presently carrying out the victory that he's already made us victorious in. So we don't work for victory, we're working from it. So what I want to do, and I'm probably, I hope I do it Who knows? Sometimes I I do this well and sometimes I do it terrible. But I want to connect maturity to victory. I want to connect that because when you walk in maturity in Christ, you are unlocking and experiencing with different levels of maturity different levels of victory. So I want to connect maturity to victory. Because some people that we know, not you, but somebody you know, is being overcome by stuff Jesus has already made them victorious over. Because they don't know how to mature in the victory that Jesus has already won for you. And so you believe your flesh you believe the temptation, you believe this natural world, you believe these experiences, you believe your disobedience, you believe your sin over over what Jesus has already done for you. He's already he's already given you the victory and we're going to see this as we walk through this. But real quick, um, looking at that section of scripture, as you read through there, is there anything else that kind of stood out to you as we read through that? I want you to raise your hand and talk to me. Is there anything else that you kind of noticed? And it's okay if, if, if it ends up, you know, being maybe something just for you, but but I'm curious. I want to know what you saw. Is there anything else that kind of stood out to you that you thought was interesting when you read that? And just raise your hand, get my attention, because I'm going to sit here for a second. Everybody's scared. Okay, what what'd you see? The different, levels of maturity. different levels in what, what phrasing? So let us know what you're talking little about. Children, fathers, little children, fathers, young men. That's exactly what we're going to unpack tonight, the different levels of maturity. Awesome. What else did you see? So it describes, um, so it labels like the, the little children or the young men or the fathers, and then it attributes or describes an action or uh, something that, that is a marker, a marker of maturity. Look, I'm doing good. That's good. a marker of maturity. Sounds like a preacher made that up. Yeah, good job. Tell Sarah I did good. Uh, so anybody knows anything else? It's very good, very good stuff. Yeah. So overcoming the wicked one—that's that that victory. That word overcome is that word nakeo, which means over overcome in present tense in real time. There's one more thing I want people to see. Okay. Yes. Yeah, generational progression, generational intentionality, which is all what maturity is about, absolutely. It's, it's generational, and all three are happening at the same time. All three are happening at the same time. So this may sound weird to you, but I want you to be honest. If I say it, and you were like, oh, that was," I was thinking the same thing, but you were just scared to say it, I want you to let me know. And if you weren't thinking the same thing, you know don't don't act like you're you know oh i knew that i was thinking what pastor john was thinking i want that and if you think what i'm about to say is dumb then i don't want to hear it he says i write to you that jumped out to me i write to you little children young men fathers and here here's the thing that i felt like when i when i was studying this out cuz i've i've taught this uh, so many times it's not any funny and it, that that thing I write to you. So, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, He felt it necessary to write to each age group, each maturity level. And then the other thing is He spoke twice. He didn't just speak once, and it gets a little confusing if you read it fast. Like, okay, which one's He talking to right now? Whatever, but He's written. He, he wrote to them, and it was like this thing um, Jack Hayford said a long time ago, the most exact form of communication is writing. The most exact form of communication is writing. And, and so he says, I want to write to you. And maybe it doesn't mean any, anything to you, but it was almost like, like even when I was reading this again, after after that jumped out to me. I was reading it again, and what happened is I read it. I, it jumped out it jumped out to me the first time when I read it on the paper after I made the paper, and then I went back to the verse and I read it, and it was another level of like that's true of the whole Bible that God helped God wrote all of this at least in part for me. I write to you, so every time you read the Bible, you need to feel like God wrote it for you. Yeah, you're talking about, is it from the Old Testament? And I do not believe that is from the Old Testament. You see it as indented? Yeah. Yeah. Let me just double check real quick. Because I have tons of notes written in my Bible. No, it's not quoting from the Old Testament. I don't know why. Because what she's saying is a lot of times in Bibles, when when it's quoting from the Old Testament, it'll be indented you 'll see this indention in there and this is indented but I don't know that that's from the Old Testament if it is and you find out you need to let somebody know <laughs> yeah I think it's because he it's just a, a emphasis in the letter maybe I, I don't I don't really know because some Bibles will do that indention others won't like um and I don't know if there's one that you could see just to double check let me see if there's one in this book real quick that you could just double check. That's a great question. Because uh the majority of your New Testament is actually simply the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Um Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Well, I think that concept, I think you could take all the way through Scripture and, and like and I think you can take it all the way all the way through there, uh, because like go- the Gospel of John, even though it's not Old Testament scripture, the Gospel of John said, these things that are written are written so that you may believe. So there's more that happened than what is written, but what is written is enough for you to believe. And then another thing at the, at, at the beginning of First John, he says, "We write to you that your joy. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, and we we, you know, write this to you that your joy may be full. So you you see this, and then I think about Luke, about you know he's writing to O Theopolis, you know, and so you see this intentionality that um, that I think is just really cool about writing writing to different ones. Uh, so the indention is not because it's an Old Testament scripture that I know of. I don't I don't see any. Yeah, 1 Corinthians. Yeah, it's, yeah, 611, but that's not quoting from the Old Testament, though, is what... Yeah, so all all these are references. All those, you can... If you have a study Bible, it'll take one scripture connected to another. I think what she was asking was an Old Testament reference. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Yeah, but this—that's like if you look, look for so to chase that out. Let's just look real quick to learn about how to study the Bible. So First Corinthians six eleven. Just look at that one, if you want to, real quick, and then we'll we'll kick back and get into it. I don't know if this is a quote. Uh, yeah, so it's just it's just talking about. You see a lot of common themes, but it's not quoting. It's not quoting it. Uh, but the when you're reading the Bible and you see you see the quote of an old Testament scripture indented in that letter in the in the letter the the, the Bible writer is trying to show you the emphasis because the early church was accused of being a, a of going away from Scripture, but the Apostle Paul, when he was giving his testimony almost on trial in front of King Agrippa, said this statement and basically said it twice. He said, O King, I share nothing beyond what is written in the law and the prophets, which is a huge statement because a lot of American Christians think, well, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. We've got the New Testament. And it's just, it's just goofy to, to do that kind of stuff. So um, here's, my, here's the favorite verse I was talking about, the bottom of your page. 1 John, same, same book as, as the one at the top of the page. 1 John 5, 4, and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes, and that word overcomes is the word Nikeo. So whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory, Nike, which is the noun, that has overcome Nikeo, The world, the world, our faith. So what is the victory? Our faith. Our faith in the victory that Christ has for us. So another scripture you, you'll see that says the same thing is John 6. You don't have to look this up. You can write this down if you're curious. John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations and persecutions, suffering, you'll have all that kind of stuff, but be of good cheer. Can you finish it? Because I have nakao the world. I've already overcome it. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. You don't have to overcome anything. If you're trying to overcome something, you've missed it. Because the the nikeo, the faith, the victory is our faith. The victory is not our effort. The victory is not our striving and trying, like, look at what I can make happen. The victory is, I believe, 100% in the victory that Jesus won through his death, burial, and resurrection, and, and, and his victory is my victory, and since Christ lives in me, because I'm a born-again child of God, since Christ lives in me, then, then I, he is the victorious one, so I now get to presently walk in the victory he already accomplished for me. And so you have to choose to be defeated. And defeat is not part of your DNA in Christ. Defeat is not part of your identity in Christ. Do we have battles? Do we have struggles? Absolutely. Every day in this body, we're going to have battles, struggles, persecutions, suffering. We're always going to face that in this body. But in the spirit, we can walk in victory. And you know what victory looks like on some days? Not giving up. Not quitting. Yeah. Yeah, victory is peaceful. It's already done. It's already done. You you already have victory. You work, you live, you walk from victory, not for it. And that's a matter of faith. That's why faith is your victory. But it has to be a faith that... Works. So your faith has to be put into action. So uh, I I just love this scripture. So again, 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes uh, the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, circle our faith, for uh, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes, not he who strives, Not he who works, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And there's other scriptures I could go to to point that out, but we ain't got time for that tonight. So if you flip over, and now here's the three levels. And what I've done is I've taken them out of the order that he wrote them in and put them in the, the, um, not a chronological order, but the order of development from youngest to oldest, okay? So I took it out of the order he wrote it in, because remember, he wrote to each one twice. Little children, I write to you, and he wrote it twice. Then he said, fathers, I write to you, and he wrote twice. Said, and then he said, young men, I, write, I wrote to you. So I took from the two times he wrote, smashed them together into one so that you can see them. And everybody said, thank you, Pastor John. Okay, great. So little children, what I want you to write next to that is believer the word believer. When you become born again, you become a child of God. You are called and considered biblically. The Bible calls you a believer. So if if Chad here comes up and he's not born again, comes to to a church service, uh, believes Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead and confesses that with his mouth, he gets born again. So Chad, in one instance, moves from an unbeliever to a believer from lost to found, from a creation of God to a child of God. Before the moment Chad was saved, uh, he was a creation of God. He was not a child of God. He was not in covenant relationship with God. And there's nothing Chad can do to earn becoming a child of God. It's done by, by faith. And so your identity changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anybody know what it says? If anyone is in Christ, I was going to throw the microphone at somebody and say that. If anyone is in Christ, you're a, I'm a, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here, the new has come. And so you're a believer. You're a believer. You could also call it a babe in Christ. That means like a baby in Christ. You're an infant. You're a believer. And so as a believer, there's what you need to know as a believer is that sins, your sins are forgiven. That's what it says. Your sins are forgiven. This is crucial. There's really two things. There's a lot of things you should know or, or can grow in knowing, but there's two foundational things that John is writing to the little children to the baby believers, there's two things he's writing to the little children and that they need to know before they go to the next phase of development. And the first thing is that your sins are forgiven. If you don't know your sins are forgiven as a child of God, you will keep working for what God gave you for free. Learning that your sin is forgiven is different than earning forgiveness of sin. You should learn all about it. But you can't earn it. Because if you don't... So when you get born again and you're now going to go and do ministry, you're going to grow and go serve people and go do ministry if you don't know your sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus, then what happens is you will begin to do ministry from a faulty perspective. And when things struggle and when things go bad, um, you will, you will end up doing ministry, uh, from this distortion of not realizing your sins are forgiven. And what will happen is insecurities will come up. Um, Pride can come up at different times. Uh, depression can rise through that. And what will happen is, what'll, what'll happen is you'll, you could end up questioning things, the, the, especially if you move into demonic realms where you're trying to, to work in realms of driving out powers of darkness from people's lives. I'm telling you, deception can come and, and boomerang back on you and make you question things that you should know. And so you have to know your sins are forgiven. So hang on a second. What are, you, what are you saying, Pastor John? That we don't, when we sin, we don't need to confess our sins. You absolutely should confess your sins. And I don't have time to break this down, but the scripture is very, the Bible is very clear about this. Your past, present, and future sins are forgiven in Jesus. They're forgiven. You absolutely need to confess your sin. You need to confess your sin, but but when you're confessing your sin, the word confess means to say the same thing as. That's what the word confess means. So you got to do two things. When I sin once a year, <laughs> what happens is when I, when I repent and turn back in my fellowship and my relationship to God. See, if I sin, I don't lose my salvation. The blood of Jesus still speaks over my life. God does not change his mind about me when I sin. Now, in relationship and fellowship, because he loves me, because I am his child and I am a believer and, and I am a new creation, he will confront my sin. He will confront me like any good father would. But he'll always do it from a place of love. People think love is like always soft and sweet. No, it's not. Love confronts. Love rebukes. Love corrects. And so what what ends up happening is you confess and you say the same thing that God says about your sin at the same time you say the same thing that God says about you. I am a new creation. I forgot who I was. God, you love me. You say what God says about you. And at the same time, you confess, and what I did or what I thought or my actions were absolutely wrong. I have sinned before you, God. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against these other people. I've sinned against you, and I repent. And God, I ask you to cleanse me. Listen to me. Forgiveness and cleansing are not the same thing. You are forgiven. What you need is cleansing. Make sense? So... And there's a way to walk that, walk that stuff out. People who've been raised in a heavy-handed, religious, law-based, judgmental mentality do not like the stuff I just said because they think you're giving everybody a license to just go sin. No, I'm not. That's not what the Scriptures teach. That's not, that's not what this, this is about at all. It's, it's relationship with God. And the reason why you sin is because you want to, not because you have to. That's the reason why you sin. You can't say the devil made me do it or somebody else made me do it or that circumstance made me do it. No, you chose to do it. That's why you sinned. And it's, your, and it's either you don't know or you have forgotten who you really are in Christ. So what a believer, a child, needs to know is my sins are forgiven so they don't spend the rest of their time living with Christ trying to to earn forgiveness. They don't spend their life trying to be forgiven. They know they're forgiven. They'll spend their life being cleansed from their sin but not forgiven because they're already forgiven. Does that make sense? Okay, and so the other thing that you need to know is that you know that God, you know God as Father. You know God as Father. So two things a believer needs to know, a child of God, little children. I write to you, little children. Two things you need to know. My sins are forgiven, and God is my Father. He didn't say he's the Godfather. He's not the church boss. He's not, not, you know there's a lot of misrepresentations of who God is. And listen to me, never... See, my dad was very, um, in in the majority of the time that I was growing up, my dad was very, uh, especially when he was drinking, he was very angry. And I was the youngest of the litter, so I kind of caught the worst end of what my dad struggled with. And he spent the rest of when he went through rehab, got sober, and spent his last 16 years on on the planet... um, sober, but I had the kind of the worst, I was the youngest at the worst time. Okay. And and my dad would come across very angry, very angry. And I remember sitting on the floor, just looking at him and he's just, I mean, just cussing me, yelling at me, you dumb this, you blank this, what and I thought every household was like that. I didn't know every household wasn't like that. And and so What happened is I took that image of my dad, that perception of my dad, and I overlaid it when I started going to Sunday school class and people tell me about God the Father. So I let my earthly relationship distort my perspective of my heavenly relationship with God. People do it all the time. But the way what we should do is let our heavenly relationship with God give us a set of lenses to look at our earthly relationship. So now I see my father and his life um, through mercy and compassion. And I see, I see that he was, he was wounded and hurt and overcome, and he was living in defeat because he didn't know fully the victory that Jesus had won for him. So what you need to know as a believer, as a little child, is my sins are forgiven. Thank you. you know, and it's in his name, not because for my sake, it's in his name, and I know him as father. God is my father. I know him as father. Okay? Those two things. If you're discipling somebody, you're leading somebody, those two things they have to know before they can move on to the next two. And and the verse for you to read is John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Let's look at that real quick. I want everyone to see that Gospel of John 12 through 13. I'm... Chapter 1, Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'm just getting all the chapters and verses mixed up tonight because this this is a huge one. It's very simple, but it's huge when it comes to this first part. So John, chapter 1, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received him, speaking about Jesus, to them... He gave the right, and that word right is a, is a Greek word that speaks to authority. So you could, you could replace that word right, like somebody's right, it's an authority, to become children of God. So before that moment, you're a creation of God, but you're not a child of God. To those who believe in his name. So believing in his name, believing Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, is what gives you the right to be born again by his spirit. His spirit comes to live inside your spirit. You're a new creation, and you now have the authority to be a child of God and a joint heir and all that kind of stuff. And that's a believer. That's the little children. And so that is the victory in your notes there. That is the victory he has accomplished for me, meaning for yourself. That's the victory that Jesus accomplished for me. So at the stage of the little children, at the stage of the infant believer, you have victory. He's already accomplished. You know, you never accomplish anything. In the kingdom of God, we do not accomplish anything. It, our life is not about achievement. It is impossible to achieve anything in the kingdom life. Our achievement, our achieving—the the the pastor way to say it—is our uh, achieving comes out of receiving. There's nothing we have, whether it's revelation, whether it's gifting, whether it's uh, there's nothing we have that we did not receive. So we need to understand that. So the victory that we that we experience manifest in our life in a certain season, but we've received it the day we were saved. That make sense? Um, the second one, young men, means disciple. <clears throat> young men is a disciple. Who can tell me what the difference is between a disciple and a believer? Raise your hand and tell me. Who, what's the difference between a, a disciple and a believer? Say, that ladder? that louder? Somebody who sits at the feet of a rabbi, a, learns, a learner, okay? A follower, someone who has commitment. You can add the word discipline to your belief. You're, you're a, a student um, that is in a, we call it in our modern day era, not like a student, like someone who's in a school, because a lot of them don't pay attention. But like an apprentice, like a pipe fitter who has an apprentice or an electrician who has an apprentice. It's on-the-job learning, real-life, real-time learning. And you're not learning in a classroom setting. There could be classroom times, but you're primarily learning by application. So that's why I give you notes. So you can study and you can go apply it in your life. Because in Jewish thought, first century Culture, thought, you don't really know something unless you can do something. How many of you have met people who say they know something but they can't do the thing they say they know? I love what Rick Clendenin said a billion times. You know, and he said this about the younger generation. <laughs> he said the younger generation have a theory but no experience. And so you got to be able to, to To not only know something, but you got to be able to do it. That's when you really, you really know it. And so, and what he said, the two things that he said, if I smash them together about about the young men, that you're strong. So it means strength, but the strength was connected to the abiding Word of God. So if you read the script, if you if you read the verse that we did at the beginning, it's you are strong, and the Word of God abides within you. And so the strength comes from the abiding Word of God. Now, what's the difference between the Word of God and the abiding Word of God? Anybody know? What's the difference between the Word of God and the abiding Word of God? We speak just a little bit louder. Yeah, a, a thing about abiding, something that remains, something that's in you. John chapter fifteen. Jesus made it very really clear. You know. Uh, If you abide in me, and my word abides in you. So you can hear a sermon, but you got to take it deeper. You can read, but you got to take it deeper and let it abide in you. Abide in you. What was that? Oh, live it. I thought you said it. (laughs) And she's pointing over here. I'm like, okay, live it out. Yeah, you, you, you apply it. You walk it out. And here's my life story can be summed up in this. Addiction used to abide in me. And now the word of God does. It, I mean, really, it's that simple. The same obedience I gave addiction is the same obedience I give to God. It's that simple. So the, the two things to be a disciple is strength from the abiding word of God and you overcome the evil one. So The strength is a result of the abiding word of God, and that abiding word of God that gives you strength gives you the strength to overcome the evil one, to nikeo the evil one. So the only way you can overcome the evil one is because he's already been overcome by Jesus. So every time the enemy... Every time you experience victory and the enemy experiences defeat, you are simply reenacting the victory that Jesus got for you on the cross. Satan is a defeated foe. And if you don't see him that way, then you will see yourself defeated. You'll see a big devil and a small God. But we have a big God and a small devil. And you have to see it that way. So he overcomes the evil one, and that is the victory he has accomplished in me. Because that means now what was for me is now operating in me. And it operates in me first. In me first, it's operating in me. So, so addiction is not dominating my life. Depression is not domini- dominating my life. Fear, anxiety is not dominating my life. Lust, temptation is not dominating my life. I'll even speak close to home. Gluttony is not dominating my life. It's not dominating me. What's, it's Christ is, is dominating me. I'm walking in this victory and it's happening in me. So that's what this thing is about, and I'm not going to read through this. You can read through this on your own, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. That is, that is reference to the temptation of Jesus. And remember, Jesus was tempted by, by the enemy, um, and I love reading that. I love looking at that. Golly. We may come back to that. Let's see. But there's three temptations. that I'll just say this in case I don't come back to it. There's three temptations that, that Jesus faced in the wilderness. And those are the three temptations that the enemy has. And Jesus won the victory for us over the enemy because the word of God was abiding in him and he was strong. Now, he's the Lord. He's God. He's God and he is the son of God, but he was functioning as a man submitted to God. The Bible's very clear about that. He is God, and he is um, the Son of God, but he was operating by faith. That's why faith is our victory. And so he accomplished it. He defeated the enemy, and the three temptations that happened to him uh, and the three answers that he gave back. Remember, each time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then the last thing he said, get behind me, Satan. So we have the authority in Jesus' name, from a believer to a disciple, we have the authority to have the word of God operating, uh, operating in us because when the enemy tempted Jesus, J- Jesus didn't say, hold on, I'm going to run back to the synagogue and get my scroll. Once I come back with my scroll, I'm going to whoop you. I'll be, stay right there. I'm going to go to my synagogue. I'm going to get my scroll. Today we say, let me look it up on Google first. He didn't go do that. It was the word that was abiding in him. He said, it is written. Because he's read it, he's believed it, and he he knew it. And spiritually, the word is him. But he he knew the word and he spoke it. <laughs> he spoke it as if he wrote it. <laughs> because he is the living word of God. But as a man, he spoke he, he, he defeated the devil as a man, not as a God. But a man who's totally submitted to God. Now, you and I are not gods. We don't become gods. We become one with God. Covenant relationship with God. We don't become gods. Our victory is only in Christ. Christ in me, me in Christ. We don't elevate ourselves through, through enlightenment or any other way to become gods. But we become one with God, joint heirs with God, one spirit with God. But we don't become gods. That make sense? And, and so that's why I got to be careful of new age stuff because they take a truth and twist it. And so the thing is, I'm one with Christ. And so he defeated the enemy. And the last thing he said was, Satan, get behind me. So if you walk through the three things that he said, and we may end on those three things, if you can understand and walk through the three things that he said and have those three words operating in your life, operating in you, then the victory that was operating in him will be operating in you, and you'll say to the devil, get behind me, and he will obey because you're not talking about your authority, which is nothing. You're talking about God's authority, which is everything. I hope that makes sense. Uh, All right, so let's skip down to the last one, fathers. This is ambassadors. So we started with believers. Now we have disciples and young men. The fathers are the mature, and they're the ambassadors. They're the representatives. They're the mature ones. They're the ones who have experience, not just the theory. They're the ones who've walked with God, who have relationship with God. They've been through a thing or two. They're the ones that's walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and they feared no evil, and they came to the table, and they came throughout the other side because they know God was with them. They walked with God. They trusted God's word in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a struggle. They've seen God as faithful. See, the difference difference here, and why I only have one underline about this underneath fathers is, you know him, and the key phrase is, from the beginning. And what that means is you have history, fellowship, experience, relationship with God the Father. So the difference between knowing God as a father, I'll use my own life as an example. I knew my dad was my dad when I was a little bitty kid, cute little kid, but I I knew he was my dad. But as a man and as a father myself, after having walked through so many things, in life with him, I now see my dad who I've always known to be my father. I see the history and I see things I didn't see when I was, when when I was younger. So there's some of you that have walked with God and you know God in a way that you didn't know him before because of the maturity and the history and the relationship. And so you, you know him from the beginning. That, that means you trust him. So young people can get moved by stuff. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and, and like even now, you know, even though there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in our world, some of the older people are like, I remember this. This happened in the 60s because you see the cycles and you see the patterns and you see whatever. But if it's your first time experiencing something, you think, oh, my God, it's new to you, but it's not new. And so when you have that history with God, you see his faithfulness. And and so, so it means you know him from the beginning, and that's the victory, the victory that he has accomplished through me. So there's a victory for me, there's a victory in me, and there's a victory through me. And all things in the kingdom of God, everything in the kingdom of God reproduces after its kind. So every father should reproduce. You should reproduce. Disciples making disciples. Believers, you you reproduce. And so um, I overestimated my time in thinking what I was going to be able to do. But um, what I want you to look at is go to Malachi 4. I think we can do this real quick and then let you all go. Um, Malachi, which is the last chapter in the Old Testament, right before the book of Matthew. It's the last chapter, Malachi 4, the last chapter in the Old Testament. We've talked about little children being believers, and what you need to know is your sins are forgiven, that God is your Father. That's the victory He works in you, or for you, I mean the young men, which are disciples, which is strength from the abiding word of God, and you overcome the the evil one because of that abiding strength in the word of God. And that's the victory that he accomplishes in you. And then the fathers, which are ambassadors, representatives, reproducers. Um, You know him from the beginning. You've got that history with him and it's a victory that he accomplished through me. And this this is the last thing that the Old Testament had moving into the New Testament. So I'm going to show you a last and a first. The last thing said in the Old Testament ends up becoming one of the first things said in the New Testament. Okay, So look at the prophecy in Malachi 4, um, uh, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord. And watch what he will do. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And I love how Rick Clendenin talked about the curse that he's referencing is the curse of fatherlessness. It's a curse of fatherlessness. And then if you look, In Luke chapter 1, just make a right and go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, you see this mentioned um, as one of the first things in the New Testament. This is being quoted, which is speaking to the fulfillment of this verse. So, Luke chapter 1, um, skip down to verse 17. He will also go before him in the spirit. And this is talking about, this is, a, this is a prophetic reference to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus. Who Jesus had said here that, talking about John the Baptist, that he also will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient, which by the way is referencing the children. And if any of y'all have them, you know what I'm talking about. The disobedient to wisdom of the righteous or wisdom of the just. and, And to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So how does God want to prepare beginning the New Testament? How does God Listen, 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 listen. How does God prepare? How does Father God prepare the orphans of sin in the world, the lost orphans of sin in the world? How How does Father God prepare them to receive his son? Your whole Bible is a book about a father and a son. He sends the spirit and power of Elijah through a man named John the Baptist to come to in the earth. Remember I talked about the distorted relationships in the house that cause you to, your negative, dysfunctional relationship with your father blinds you from seeing your heavenly father, distorts you from seeing God properly. So what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to send one to prepare the way and call people to repentance so that the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children and the hearts of the children are turned back to the fathers and there's repentance in the house that the disobedient, um, and, and it could speak to both, but I think specifically speaking to the children, the disobedient will turn to the wisdom of the righteous. And that's preparing generations to receive the gift of God's Son. That's just huge to me. I wish I could say that all better. It's just huge to me. And so when you talk about an ambassador, a father, a young father looks at his family like, man, when y'all going to grow up? Y'all run around here, don't feed yourself, don't pay no bills. When are y'all going to grow up? A grandfather looks at those same kids. I hope you never grow up. I hope you never grow up. So the heartbeat of an ambassador is you see the children. And you, you, you see God's plan and purpose for them. You pray for them differently. And... And so I just wanted you to to see this It's in what he accomplishes through you. And and the whole heartbeat is that we would be mature if you've been saved. Um, And just because you've been saved for, for 10 years does not mean you're mature. Maturity in the flesh is basically automatic. Maturity in the spirit is systematic. You have to. You have to know your sins are forgiven. You know, and do you know what the fruit of knowing your sins are forgiven is? Do you know what your fruit of knowing your sins are forgiven? You stop sinning. Yeah, you walk in freedom. You walk in truth. You stop sinning. Because you know you're not a victim, a slave anymore because you know you're forgiven, you've been, and then he's cleansed you. And then when you know God's your father, you don't fear him as if he's the Godfather. And then when you start taking the word of your father, knowing you're already forgiven, and you feed on his word to get strength, then the enemy who's coming against your family, you now exercise authority over him, because your older brother already whooped him, Already knocked his teeth out. So all he's doing is flapping his gums. And you take authority over him in your brother's name, which is in your father's name, and, and, and you walk in this victory over him. And, and then you have the strength. So now you have a history of whooping the devil and doing some stuff instead of the devil whooping you. Way too many people in the church try to claim spiritual maturity, but they have way more record and testimony of the devil whooping them than them whooping the devil. This is why this verse, this thing just stirs me up, man. It just it just stirs me up. Because it's maturity that brings about victory. And you better get used to this word, nikao. You're going to be hearing a lot more of it going into this new year because God's unleashing, and that's how I, unleashing something in me that's been building for years. And you're going to hear a lot more about this thing about Nicael. You've heard me talk about the church purpose is to awaken and equip for purpose. Well, you're going to see a whole other dimension of it when it's awaken and equipped for victory. That overflows from this church to businesses, school systems, other nations. Families. So people who have a purpose from God will walk in victory according to that purpose. And it's gonna be kale. Oh my gosh, I just can't walk, I cannot wait. <laughs> because what that means is we are empowered. And we are disciples of Christ who walk in this authority. And we can say, Satan, get behind me. And now we're walking, and people see us walking in victory. How do you walk in victory where, where that stuff that stuff dominates me? That stuff is killing me. That stuff is destroying everybody I, I, I love. Well, it ain't destroying me. Because i put it when I know my place, I put the devil in his place. See, when you sin, when you sin, especially because you've been tempted. If the enemy is tempting you, the enemy forgot his place and you forget your place. So you need to come back to know who you are, put the devil back in his place, and then you do that long enough, you've got history and you know who your father is, you know the victory that he has for you, that he has in you, and then you become this ambassador to go teach another generation about who their father is, who their enemy is, and who they are. My gosh. So I encourage you to look over this and evaluate. Where are you? Where are you? Do you know your sins are forgiven? If you do, then when you sin, you come to God and you confess, God, I thank you that I am your child. I thank you that I am loved. I thank you that I am accepted. And I thank you that even and and I repent with brokenness and passion and humility. God, forgive me, because what I did, what I did is sin. It is wrong. It is failure. It is, it is not, it is disobedience. And I don't want to do it ever again. Because it's not who you are, and it's not who you are in me. And you just you walk out each one of these. Sections And some of you are fighting battles against the enemy right now. And you need to know where your strength is going to come from, from the Word of God abiding in you. And then some of you have walked through victories in the past. And I believe this, and I'm I'm going to be done after this, I promise you. For a father, like a grandfather in the faith, an ambassador for Christ who's walked through those levels of maturity, if you have not reproduced this victory and your life's testimony in other people and you've become stagnant, then you will slide back into a defeat that, he, that you have already been freed from. You've got to give it away. You've got to give it away. You've got to find other people who are struggling with the thing that you struggled with and that God freed you from, and you got to go back and give it away. That makes sense? All right. Oh, I wish I could get into Matthew 4, but we got to go. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every person here and I thank you for your victory, God. I thank you. I thank you for your victory, God. I thank you for the victory of the cross. I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you that. That God, you're the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells uh, within us for those who are believers and gives life to our mortal bodies. And through faith, we have victory, God. Through faith, we are overcoming. Through faith, we are subduing. Through faith, we are prevailing. Through faith in your victory, God. And every enemy will bow. Every enemy will bow because we believe in who you are and what you've done. And we thank you, God, that you grow us. You meet us right where we're at, but you grow us. And I pray growth over every person here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Faith Center Podcast. To connect with us, go to faithcenter.tv and fill out our connection card. We pray blessings over you and your family. We'll see you next time.